Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the OutKick network, this is OutKick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. Hour number two of OutKick 360 and our college football kickoff special underway. Coming up in 20 minutes, Paul Kuharski will be joined in studio by Blake Bettingfield, 19-year NFL scout. Sitting us with us right now at Old City Sports Bar, Trey Wallace of Outkick.com. Great to see you, Trey. It's good to be here, man. Football it's, uh, is back. It's a festive atmosphere. Happy got, New Year to you with college I, coverage coming. Oh, my gosh. It's nonstop <laughs> from now until February. I, I was telling some people last night, like, we won't stop this thing until uh, after the title game. And then uh, after the uh, first day of signing, or second it, signing. It, yeah. It feels good, though. Like yeah. it, feel, it, it still doesn't quite feel completely real to me no. walking around today but once we get in the stadium tonight it's it's definitely going to feel I th- real i think the biggest thing is once you get into a stadium no matter what stadium it is and, and everything the pomp circumstance everything goes off then you start checking your phones for other scores and that's mm-hmm. when you're like all right we're in it it's college football season so tonight tennessee ball state missouri will also play louisiana tech yeah um and it, intriguing matchup there for louisiana tech it's a 20 point spread for missouri but for some reason, I think that game's a little closer than that. You know, I think it reminds me a little bit of what Chad was talking about earlier in the week with the Georgia State-South Carolina game, where it wouldn't surprise me if, if Louisiana Tech puts up a fight and we're heading into the middle of the third quarter, and this is a close game. Because you got to remember, Missouri's playing out a new quarterback, Brady Cook. I know he played a little bit last season, but Louisiana Tech has some depth. So I'm interested to see how this plays out tonight in, in, in Como, and, and we'll see if they can get off to a 1-0 start. It's also seemingly put-up-or-shut-up time for Eli Drinkwitz because he likes to talk. Yes, I'm not saying that because of any pressure uh, about the Missouri job and what he's done so far. It's because he won't stop talking right. about other programs and about his own. So you go out and look bad and lose to La Tech, that's not going to be good for a guy who's talked all offseason. No, and that's the biggest thing about it is, is how much he has just he's ran his mouth. And, look, he does it in this dorky kind of way, which I kind of appreciate. It, it is what it is. But tonight, it's one of those nights where you have to go take care of it. It's a Thursday night. You're playing Louisiana Tech. The crowd will be into it for the first half, and they're probably going to go home around 10 o'clock, whenever halftime is. and So you got to be able to stay with it. So I, it's a big game for Missouri tonight to start off on the right foot because I don't see many wins the rest of the season. Is there a better game than Florida and Utah in the SEC? Oh, man. I mean, Georgia. and you know, we, We've got some matchups, Georgia, Oregon among them. But I'm, I'm excited to see Bo Nix versus Georgia again. Okay. He's 0-3. Does he do something different? at Oregon. Can Dan Lanning pull something out defensively with Noah Sewell, linebacker, All-American? Can they find a way to get after Stetson Bennett? And if they can, I think it makes this game interesting for the first half. Maybe the third quarter. Do it. Look, I think Georgia's more talented. I think we can all agree with that. But there are ways that Dan Lanning is going to game plan for that game on Saturday afternoon at 3.30. We'll be there uh, covering the game. And I think it's... I, I wouldn't... I wouldn't say that Oregon's going to win, but I think Georgia does 
present an opportunity for Oregon to, to maybe humble them a little bit, maybe not come out of the gate with a blowout? Well, among all of our preview discussion all offseason, and we'll have big, five big questions going into the SEC slate coming up with Clay in hour number three, we have not asked this question. Is Georgia's defense going to be fine? When you consider yeah. how yeah. many players are now in the NFL, and the answer is yes. We know the talent is there. The air is rare in Athens. And it's not even a question that's being discussed on what Georgia will look like defensively this year. That's the crazy part is how much they lost last year. I remember sitting at that title game last year, looking at that defense, sitting there looking at Jordan Davis, 380 pounds, six foot seven. And now I look at the roster, and yeah, look, you got Nolan Smith returning. You got Robert Beal, top linebackers, led, led team in sacks last year. They've got players. But the biggest thing in my mind is, can they be in Alabama where they just churn the same type of defense out every year? That's what's going to stick out to me the most is, do they have that type of group that's going to come out and, and be as dominant as last year? I don't think so because that's going to be really tough. But I do think the defense can lead the way in most series, especially if Stetson, you know, Stetson, you know what you're getting out of him. But I think the Georgia defense-wise, they do return enough players to be able to help out Kirby, but it's all about just putting them in now. I think there's going to be a slight depression over the college football world if Georgia blows out Oregon in this game. Yeah. Because it's going to be the realization, especially, and we're not going to talk about this game, but if Ohio State blows out Notre Dame the way we expect, and then Alabama is going to look like Alabama against Utah State, whatever, people are going to come back and say, well, it was a fun weekend, but those three teams are are so much better than everyone else. And then I look at the Arkansas-Cincinnati game, Trey. Fun one. And I I think to myself – Boy, Luke Fickle has done an amazing job, yep. and he lost a lot of NFL talent. But this is that prove-it program game that was not a one-year fluke, that Cincinnati is a national player year in, year out. If they go in there, and even if they play it razor's edge close in this game, it's going to say a lot about Cincinnati and a big test for Arkansas. You know, the biggest thing is is that game is on the road, like you said, in Fayetteville. And, and I think that we've seen what Cincinnati can do, um, but I want to see them go on the road – Hang with somebody. Look, K.J. Jefferson from Arkansas, I love him. I've got Arkansas finishing second in the SEC West this year. I think their defense is good enough for that. But I look at this game, and it's like, okay, you had so much success last season. Can Cincinnati roll into town and, and, and trick Arkansas into thinking, okay, this is not that talented team from last year? You know, maybe they can come in, throw around a little bit on offense. And I think those – look, if you're looking for a game this weekend – that could potentially be close, you know, looking at the spread. Watch that game. You know, to me, that one kind of stands out to me a little bit, especially Sam Pittman entering another year. How do they play things off this season? And, and look, when you return Barry Odom as your defensive coordinator and when you return Kendall Browse as your offensive coordinator, that's stability. So that's why I like Arkansas this year, but I do think that's going to be a fun game. So you had mentioned it, and I, this is a game I'm going to be watching, Georgia State and South Carolina. Yeah. I, I was going to watch South Carolina game one because of Spencer Rattler no matter what. Right. Because I want to see how much better that offense looks with him there. We know he's more talented than the options they had a year ago, Trey, at quarterback. Yep. But that Georgia State team's pretty good. They should have won a year ago at Auburn. We know what they did here in Knoxville yep. a few years ago against Jeremy Pruitt in year number two. Um, that is a game to watch, I think. What, what, what are your thoughts on that one? It was crazy. I was in Mexico the time that Georgia State-Tennessee game happened. So when I turned my phone back on, when I got back in the States, 
I realized I was coming back to Knoxville with them losing. I wanted to be uh, in Mexico oh when that gosh. game ended. Was, <laughs> I wanted to be in Poland. I wanted to be yeah. drinking the, the Mexico I, water. I wanted to be in uh, uh, Finland, Iceland, anywhere, uh, China. I, I would have been anywhere, but yeah. in the state it of Tennessee. It was crazy. I'm telling you, though, like South Carolina, Spencer Rattler. Don't forget tight end Austin Stockner from Oklahoma. I think this could be a, a pretty decent football team. Seven wins, somewhere like that. You know, if they knock off somebody and get lucky, maybe eight. But I'm, I'm going with seven wins for them this year. But it's all about Spencer Rattler. Let's see what this kid has. We know everything that happened at Oklahoma. We've read the stories. It's over with. New chapter for him. How can Shane Beamer and that offense really get him out in space, make plays down the field? I think for South Carolina, it's going to be very dependent on him. And that's okay. But I look at that game, and you're right. It's like a circle game. Sean Elliott knows what he's doing. And I think that when you look at Georgia State, the teams that they've hung with over the last couple years, they're not scared of anybody. They're not scared of going into Columbia and playing. They've done it with Auburn. They've done it with Tennessee. So you look at this game, and I think that's one of those outliers that you kind of circle and you think, okay, maybe we see an upset here. Maybe. We'll see. Clay's going to come in later and tell us why he thinks Florida is beating Utah. Saturday night. I can't wait to hear that. Um, one. So you're you're taking Utah, right? Yes. Based on that, right, right, but not by a lot. But I think that Utah wins the game. I, I I'm taking Utah as well, but we will learn a lot about Florida under this new regime based on the way they limped into the off season down the backstretch of last season with Dan Mullen. Yeah. And the way that Dan Mullen's tenure ended, which was a, a total failure. And now, how quickly can they revamp everything in Gainesville? You know, the biggest thing is about establishing a culture in Gainesville yeah. and talking with some folks down there. Like, they're bought in on the Billy Napier thing. Like, you've got players that are, you know, if they're not playing, there's a reason why. Because they haven't bought into Billy yet. But I think that when you look at Florida, I really like Anthony Richardson. I do. I, I think he could be a fun quarterback to watch. My problem is... How are they going to replace some of the guys on defense? How they were going to place you know, Damian Pierce running back? Yep. There's a couple yep. different a spots point. that you look at it where you're like, okay, this could be a decent team in October. I don't know if coming right out of the gates against a quarterback like Cameron Rising at Utah, and we've seen him throw the ball around, I just don't know if Florida's ready right now compared to where they could well, be in a month. And I think the perception of the Pac-12 – is a finesse style in the trenches. Yeah. The SEC perception is you win at the line of scrimmage. Utah wins at the line of scrimmage when Absolutely. you watch Whittingham's teams play. Yeah. That, that's what will be on display that I think people will be surprised by. And I've referenced UCLA, LSU from a year ago uh, because it stood out to me. I, I was not expecting UCLA to out-physical the Tigers. I agree. Um, I think Utah does that to Florida Saturday. I, I, just, think it, I just think it could be a – not a wake-up call because, look, you're, you're rearranging your program in Gainesville. If, if folks knew everything that was going on behind the scenes with Dan Mullen, that staff, and those players, you'd be even more shocked than you are right now. So I think when you look at it, there's a culture change having to happen, and it reminds me a little bit of Jeremy Pruitt and his last year at Tennessee. So last year at this time, we, we were not predicting Dan Mullen was going to be out at Florida. Right. Is there a coach right now that you would you feel like we could be talking about in November in that same situation that's not hit the head coach at Auburn? Not Brian Harson. Um, 
Yeah, not, e- not Eli, Eli Drinkwitz okay. is one, um, and Mike Leach in Mississippi State. If they can't figure something out. It feels it, boom or bust. It right? does because you've got a quarterback that can sling the ball all around. But here's the problem. Mississippi State's losing traction right now to Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss. They are the hot team of that state. They are the guys that are getting all the players. They're getting the transfers. You know, you feel like, ah, that's the cool program. And wait a minute. I only got to go two and a half hours north to play at the cool program. So that's playing in Starkville. I just feel like I know Mike Leach and what he does, and they can win seven or eight games. But it feels like to me, if this thing starts tanking, they get five wins, something along those lines, or six, and somebody comes open that is willing to take the job, that's the one I could see that would happen. Well, let's stick with the Mississippi State theme. Uh, in previous week ones where everyone's playing a nobody and you don't have some marquee games, I feel like Memphis-Mississippi State would be a marquee game in the SEC this weekend. But instead, it's something we haven't even talked about yet. And it's on ESPNU yep. at 7.30 on Saturday night. Um, and Mississippi State is a 16-point favorite in this game. Does that say more about Mississippi State or Memphis currently? going into this season, because that's usually a toss-up type game. I think they're throwing in Will Rogers, and I don't think they know a lot about Memphis. You know, you go, you go back and look at last year, we all remember how that Memphis-Mississippi State game happened, what happened, the penalties, the crazy call right there in the fourth quarter. You know, and that's a game Mississippi State probably should have won, but it had been close anyways. I look at it this year, and I think, okay, Memphis is not just some kind of rollover. They're going to come in and put up a fight. I think it's one of those sneaky games where – you're going to be scrolling on your phone Saturday night. You're going to be looking for scores, and you're going to see Memphis within 10 points or 7 points of Mississippi State. You're going to flip that game on, and I think that's something to pay attention to. There's a lot of pressure on Will Rogers to be that guy this year for Mississippi State. And, look, you're playing against a team that you lost to last year in controversial style, first game of the season at home. How much pressure is on this squad to get it done? That could be a fun one. Keep an eye on that one. Is Florida State LSU going to be fun? I on sure Sunday hope night? so. And, and, and I, I, Mike Norvell better hope it's fun because if they go into bad. You know, by the way, savvy move by Mike Norvell right. in the scheduling. I know this is done in advance, but yeah. to put Duquesne in week zero to get a warm up to go into the game against LSU. It's, right. Where LSU and Brian Kelly's coming in blind in game number one. And, there, and it's going to be, look, it doesn't make a difference where this game's at because it's in the state of Louisiana. So it's in New Orleans, so it's all good. It's going to be a home game. You're going to see Florida State fans travel. My biggest thing is don't let LSU come out and embarrass you with a squad that we don't even know how good is yet with LSU. That's the big thing to me. It's going to be Garrett Nussmeyer. It's going to be Jaden Daniels, a quarterback. So the biggest thing that stands out to me is what does LSU do in the passing game? And if they go out there and they embarrass Mike Norvell and Florida State, the temperature rises, it's getting hotter, and you know who they're looking at? They're looking at that coach right now at Jackson State and saying, okay, yeah. what do we have to do right. to potentially it's get Deion Sanders a chance? And I'm just, I'm just saying, if you go get beat up on national TV and you're the only game on that night and people are starting to realize this thing is not going to work, there's going to be the rumblings that start to happen. Trey Wallace has all of your SEC coverage at OutKick.com from tonight on Saturday, Monday, and throughout the season. Joins us weekly here on the show. Good to see you. Thanks for swinging by Old City Sports Bar here with us. Yeah. 
Uh, enjoy kickoff tonight. We'll be reading your coverage later tonight at the site. I look for it. No, guys, you, you guys have a good time. A lot of people here. This looks yeah. like a fun atmosphere. I know it's yeah. going to continue following them before the game. And uh, kickoff is two and a half hours away And uh, here in Knoxville. But then we got Pittsburgh, you know, West Virginia in the backyard brawl. A lot of stuff going on. Purdue, so just, Penn State. It's going to be a big night. That's going to be fun. Big weekend. So yep. It'll be good. So Thanks for coming by and here attention. doing this. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. y'all. Appreciate Clay Travis it. will be with us uh, coming up to kick off hour number three. When we come back, Paul has things covered for us in Nashville. Blake Bedingfield, 19-year NFL scout, will be in studio with him. A lot of news out of Nashville today with what the Titans roster has been doing with Henry's extension. Harold Landry's ACL injury. Josh Gordon has been signed to the practice squad. Plus, with Blake's scouting background, there is a ton on the table leading up to college football season. That is next on OutKick 360. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome back. Outkick 360 at 6th and Peabody, home of Yeehaw Beers and Old Smoky Moonshine. Pleased to be joined by my good friend Blake Bettingfield, who writes at paulkuharski.com, a site that you should check out, particularly if you've got an interest in the Tennessee Titans. Blake, how you doing? Appreciate you joining us. I'm doing great. It's good to be here. It's football season. Talk some ball. You got a favorite game coming up here in week one with week zero in the rearview mirror? You know what I'm looking forward to, especially with the college football season starting, is to see the separation between the top teams. And I'm talking about the Alabama and the Ohio States. Right off the bat, you're going to see the Oregon and Georgia. You're going to get to see Ohio State versus Notre Dame. Those other teams outside the top two, maybe the top three with Georgia, you start to see can they hold their own with some of the better, most talented teams in college football? I think that that spacing between the top three teams and everybody else is going to be a little bit bigger than, than uh, people recognize. These two days are kind of our big college football kickoff because one means a lot more to us than zero. So we're going to take a little bit of a college slant, even on the NFL stuff. Let's start with Kenny Pickett in, in Pittsburgh. We've tracked closely – what he's got going versus Mitch Trubisky there. And they've both been really good through the preseason. What do you envision Mike Tomlin doing with him? How long? Uh, it sounds like it seems like Pickett's going to be the guy out of the gate. How do you imagine that unfolding for a team that hasn't had a quarterback change in a long, long time? You know, the first thing they did was they built the team around him. They drafted two receivers this year, George Pickens, Calvin Austin, to add to the offensive personnel they had two years ago with Najee Harris, Frymuth, the tight end. The only thing that they're lacking is the offensive line. Okay, They still have Deontay Johnson. Uh, the, the offensive personal personnel around him should be solid. 
from a from a, a, a skill set. But the offensive line is a little bit different now. They're they're putting some pieces together, but can they protect? Uh, Pickett. Now, I like him. I think, you know, he's a short to intermediate passer where he's at his best. Uh, he can stretch the field uh, with his arm strength. He's a good athlete in the pocket. He has a ton of experience in college football, which is outstanding. So, you know, the, the thing is, is he's, he's ready to play, okay? Playing his college ball in Pittsburgh, those fans aren't going to be a shock to him. I really like that pick for them. Uh, I like the personnel they put around him. I think when you take a quarterback in the first round, you have to put those pieces in place, and they have that with with uh, uh, the players that I just mentioned. What kind of do you think they look towards? Like they they've got, I think, a Thursday night game three weeks in where they'd have a mini buy or their bye week. I think is towards mid season. You think they think about things like that at this stage or no? You know, it, the best player plays. I mean, I, I think that's – is he the best player? You know, Trubisky is the, is the next guy. I just – I don't see him as a starter in the league. If he is, he's a short-term starter. And why would you wait? Go with week one, put your rookie out there, let him play. You put the pieces in place. Like I mentioned, Trubisky's not a, a, a difference maker. He's not a, a player. He can – he is a placeholder for the time until Pickett's ready or – until they lose a few games, and then they're going to force uh, the, the young quarterback to play. I asked you for three other rookies coming in, non-quarterbacks, that you are excited to see play. You started with Kayvon Thibodeau um, with the Giants, who avoided a serious injury, luckily for us all, because we want to see these guys play. What do you anticipate for him in New York, where uh, it's still a slow build? You know, pass rushers rush the passer, and they can on the college level, and they can in the NFL. Usually the transition is is really good, especially with an athlete like Thibodeau. Thibodeau is an outstanding athlete, elite level type type player when you, when you talk about the speed and to be able to bend around the edge, can rush with a little bit of power as well. He was showing that in preseason until he got the injury. Uh, that's going to set him back a little bit, but I think that is a player that can be very productive this year. They're building their team. They built it with Evan Neal, the offensive lineman, and then Thibodeau, uh, both first-rounders. That was two excellent picks, in my opinion. Uh, you want to build up front, and that's what they did, especially uh, with a little bit to go in terms of the talent uh, from the skill positions. Chris Alave with the Saints, where they've got some skill position guys, but a quarterback who's a bit of an unknown and a new coach who is not Sean Payton. You know, in New Orleans, you have a quarterback that loves to throw downfield. Jameis Winston is a quarterback that likes to throw downfield. Chris Alave is a speed vertical receiver. That is what he's best at. If you match him up with a Michael Thomas, a Jarvis Landry, you know, you have players that can run those short to intermediate routes, more of the first down chain mover type receivers. Chris Olave is a take the top off the defense type type guy. That's why they drafted him. That's what he does. That's what the quarterback likes to do. Now, Winston, even though he likes to throw deep, has not had the accuracy that you want. And he's got to get better with his accuracy downfield. But with a vertical receiver that can run under the ball, uh, it, it, it will help that uh, percentage go up a little bit. Did the Ravens find themselves another classic Baltimore defender in Kyle Hamilton? I love Kyle Hamilton coming out of Notre Dame. I think he's a versatile piece. You can call him a safety, maybe call him a nickel linebacker. He's going to be that rover that moves all over the defense. And he's a difference maker in terms of size and speed and athleticism and the instincts that he brings to the field. You can match him up with one some of these outstanding tight ends. You can match him up man-to-man. -man. You can blitz him off the edge. He's very good in the run game. 
coming down. He also has a speed and athleticism uh, to, to play from the deep position if he has to play the deep middle. So I really like Kyle Hamilton. I thought he was an outstanding pick for them. Their other first-round pick, uh, the center out of Iowa, fits what they like to do, an athletic center that plays in a run offense, and that's what they do in Baltimore. And I think they had two really good outstanding first-round picks. Here in Nashville, the story of the preseason has been Malik Willis, who got three preseason game starts and a lot of experience, showed incremental development. Now he goes to running a scout team off a card where growth potential is more limited. He may have you know special sessions with Todd Downing and Tim Kelly Particularly, they do some of that stuff on Friday afternoons with the guy they're looking to accelerate growth. But fast forward to OTAs 2023. How much progress can he make between now and then? And if Ryan Tannehill has a Ryan Tannehill year now, what would you anticipate them looking to do in a year? You know, Malik Willis has a unique skill set. He's got a good arm, good arm strength. He's got outstanding athleticism, feet, escape in the pocket. He really has a natural instinct to avoid pressure in the pocket. The problem is, is he avoids too quickly. He gets out of the pocket too quickly. He runs. He looks at his one read, and he's gone. You can't survive in the NFL by doing that. And, and that's one thing that he's going to have to learn. That takes, that's an instinctual trait that he has that he has shown over time is that he wants to run. He's got to stop that. Now, that takes away a little bit of his instincts play in the position, what's kind of made him a successful player on the college level. But he's got to learn to be able to move in the pocket, use that athleticism, but not escape and try to run downfield all the time. You're not going to be able to survive four quarters and definitely not 17 weeks by doing that. You look at a Kyler Murray, for example, who's, who's an ultra runner, outstanding athlete, outstanding speed. He wears down as the season goes along because of all the runs he's taking. As he gets older, he's got to continue to progress his game as a passer. He's got a little bit of that, uh, but Malik has to do that now. He has to be able to, in that first year where he's going to be sitting behind an established veteran quarterback, take this time to learn to sit in the pocket and be able to use his eyes, use his athleticism to escape, move in the pocket, and allow receivers to come open. Blake Benningfield scouted for the Tennessee Titans for 19 years. The last six of those years, he was the director of college scouting, and he now consults, uh, which we don't get to know the intricate details of. He also writes for paulkuherski.com, a very fine site from what I hear. If somehow Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud does not win the Heisman Trophy this year, who does? Will Anderson. The outside linebacker, pass rusher from Alabama. He's the best player in college football, hands down. Best player last year, no doubt. This is a dominating pass rusher on the college level that we haven't seen in a long time. Athleticism, skill set-wise, he's very similar to Miles Garrett, probably the best since he's come out. But you're talking about going back a long time from a guy that can actually rush what we like to say speed to power moves. He's got that. He's outstanding. He can rush with speed. He can rush with power. He can turn one rush into another. He can go inside out. He is a double team waiting to happen because no single blocker in college football is going to be able to block him. And he has a relentless motor. But not only is he very good at rushing the passer, he's outstanding at playing the run. Extremely strong versus tight ends. Can't block him with just a tight end. Extremely strong versus tackles. This is a guy that had 17 and a half sacks last year, okay? He's 
probably going to have a great chance of breaking a record, which I think is 27 in a single season, way before they kept records. This was Derek Thomas and uh, Teddy Bruschi. But, you know, this is a guy that has outstanding numbers, but th- he is going to continue to rush the passer. They have another good outside linebacker on the other side, Dallas Turner, that also has to be double teamed at times. So, yeah. Will Anderson is outstanding. He he is going to be a dominating force in college football. I don't care if you block him with one or you block him in two, and I think he's the Heisman Trophy winner if those other two don't. You also really like Travion Henderson at Ohio State. Travion Henderson is the total package as a runner. He's a little bit of Jonathan Taylor. He's got a little bit of that. Uh, he's got great speed. He's got outstanding feet. Uh, he's got that contact balance. When he gets hit, he continues to move. Uh, but he has got a, a range of – of skills he can catch the ball out of the backfield this is a guy that almost rushed for seven yards per carry last year and he split time with some upperclassmen so he he's a he's another one that has a chance to be in that Heisman run we're just talking about four players and they just happen to come from two schools yeah so college football future uh Josh Pate who's a friend of the show I don't know if you're familiar with his work he 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 had a a really good segment that he put out the other day about how everybody's wild about the idea of expanded playoffs and it'll be good initially. But then ultimately what happens is a a game of consequence for Alabama, like the A&M game last year, won't be of any consequence uh, for Alabama if there are eight or 12 playoff teams down the road. And those moments in the regular season will get pushed from, from, Alabama and A&M significance down to the eighth team, down to the 12th team, and college football stuff will have less meaning for those top teams who we already don't like and resent because they have an easy path in our eyes to the final four. And ultimately, it won't be good for college football. I've not heard that phrased that way. The idea that uh, scarcity is, is actually good what do you think about that idea, ultimately, that, that less actually makes things more compelling for college football? See, I actually think the opposite. I, I think the more teams in a playoff will actually create players that can transfer. Okay, They want to be on the big stage. They, they do. The, the running back that's going to Alabama this year went to Georgia Tech. He wants to be on the big stage. He wants to win ball games. He wants to be in a national championship-type setting. He's also probably going to be a high draft pick after this year, too, playing for that team. But – if you have 12 teams in a playoff setting, you have more opportunities to be on that big stage, to give that opportunity to play maybe two more games or three more games at the end of your college career, to be in the limelight, to, to enhance your uh, ability, not only to make money in the NIL, but also in the NFL draft. So I actually think the more teams actually will create uh, a, a better environment for college football. Right now you have the haves and the have-nots, and the haves are very few. And so uh, guys won't leave. As quickly, you you could stay at a school with the chance to win, which limits Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State's ability to get so many good transfers. No question about it, because right now it's just free agency in college football. You can go pick up a player that you've seen on film playing on a college level, and you can plug him into a spot. Maybe you lost a first-round pick the year before to the NFL draft, and now you can put him in on your college team instead of waiting for a freshman to develop or a sophomore that maybe that's not ready. Now you can get a junior, a rising senior, a graduate player that has played a lot of uh, football on the college level that he can come in and fill a spot on a great team already. That's what makes those teams even better is when you can bring in a transfer and you put him around other great players. 
and you create not only the competition among the young players, but you're putting him in a position to play right now with outstanding players. Not only can it uh, up his game, but it can also uh, make the team a lot better because you're not relying on that young person to make mental mistakes. I just had a column post at, uh, at outkick.com about third-string quarterbacks, about practice squad quarterbacks. 17 teams simply took the guy that they cut to get down to 53 and put him on their practice squad, which I know is what teams are doing with most of their 16 guys or guys that were with them in camp. They're familiar with them. They like them. They don't have room for them on their 53. They sign them to their practice squad. My argument is, you know, for those 17 teams, they're sticking with a familiar guy who's not very good. And, uh, you know, isn't there an alternative? You can get him up to snuff. You're not going to need him to do much unless disaster strikes. He's going to be reading your scout team card. Probably not even that because the second stringer is going to be doing that. Isn't there a likelihood that somebody else's guy is better than your guy? And how intensely is that scouted? Or are teams just content with familiarity? And is that the most important quality of that guy? It is scouted. It, the pro scouts are scouting those players. But what happens is, is you get that familiar player. Let's just take you, – you talked about Malik Willis. Malik Willis is going to take the coach's attention. Ryan Tannehill, then Malik Willis, the third-string quarterback, that practice squad guy, which is now Logan Woodside, who they have a familiarity with. He's not going to get the attention from the coaches because he doesn't need it because what his ability, his ceiling is, he's already reached. Okay, but he's a guy that can come in and be your number two if something happens to one of the first two. He can come in without much work from, from the coaches. You hate to say that, but there is the development's going to be for the Malik Willis's of the world because they want to get him ready for 2023 or maybe this year if, if there's an injury situation with the number one. But around the league, playing time matters so much. And I'm not talking about preseason playing time. I'm talking about you look at a, a P.J. Walker that plays with the Carolina Panthers. He was a backup his entire career with the Indianapolis Colts. Ended up going on the practice squad, eventually getting cut. His salary was going to be too high for a team to take a chance on with a guy that that many years in the league but hadn't really played. He goes to the XFL, he plays, has an outstanding year before the league got shut down because of COVID. He goes in and gets a backup quarterback job with the Carolina Panthers, and he's still there making seven figures. That's what he needed. That's what the NFL is missing. They miss that minor league system. They miss the, the other leagues to develop a, a quarterback in the game, being the starter week one. He's the guy. And going from that college to pro, and, and that's such an important transition, but a lot of these quarterbacks never get that chance. Unless there's an injury, unless there's a, uh, something that happens, they really never get that opportunity because outside of preseason game, which they may get a quarter or two, or they're playing against other uh, backup-level players, or they're putting in such a, a vanilla-type offense, they really don't get to show their skills enough, uh, especially to entice the rest of the league to sign them. So – that's why teams go with comfort, and until they're forced into a situation, um, you know, there hasn't been trades for, for those type of quarterbacks in a long, long time or players that are brought in that have that uh, really outstanding athlete, uh, ability upside, that type yeah. of thing. Two guys got claimed, Kellen Mond uh, by Cleveland. Now I'm going to forget the second one, and I can't believe I'm, I'm applauding the two teams that, that make those claims. But I actually did. I, I said, hey, I give you credit for going and, and doing something. Philadelphia claimed Ian Book. I'm not excited about Ian Book, but I say, hey, at least you're going and getting somebody different and thinking that you see something better than Carson Strong or better than, uh, 
you know, the guy that that you had, an incumbent. Let's go through the AFC West. Go ahead. You had no, a point I, on that? I think it's. I think those two moves kind of are perfect for those teams. If you look at an Ian Book, he's similar to a Jalen Hurts. So a player that he's a very smart kid, uh, coming from Notre Dame, he's an athletic player, likes to run around, can avoid in the pocket, escape, good instincts, kind of has that those intangible qualities that you like. A lot of the same things you say about Jalen Hurts. So maybe they develop him as that backup without having to change the offense very much. Kellen Mond, if you look at him, he was a high draft choice. I thought when we spoke about it years ago, way too high for where he was taken. He's, he was cut. New regime coming in Minnesota. He really didn't fit what they want to do. But if you look at the quarterbacks they have, Jacoby Brissett, Deshaun Watson, eventually you have a very similar player. Kind of tall, athletic player in the pocket, moves around well. And maybe they develop him. Maybe they don't. If they don't, they don't really worry about it at this point because they do have Deshaun Watson coming back in week 11 or 12. Let's go through the AFC West, which uh, everybody agrees is the most stacked division that we've seen in some time with four pretty damn good quarterbacks. How do you stack it top to bottom? How many teams do you see in the playoffs and who who's out? You know, I love the Chargers this year. I, I love what they did from a personnel standpoint. When you bring in Khalil Mack, you bring in uh, J.C. Jackson, you drafted uh, Zion from the guard from Boston College. You know, you brought in some players that can really help this team right now. And and they're, they're players that are hungry, that want to win. And, you know, J.C. Jackson's had some success but uh, from a winning standpoint from the team. But Khalil Mack, this is a player that, that lined him up on the other side of Bosa They've got a they've got a nice two-headed uh, pass rush, which they really didn't have last year. But anyway, I love the Chargers quarterback's development. Uh, the receivers are in place. They're building that offensive line through the draft. Uh, I really like what they're doing. Co- the head coach has to be a little bit more stable this year. Uh, play play with that talent, not trying to do things that are uh, a little crazy. Um, I, I do love what Denver did, but I think Kansas City. You, you, you can't dismiss Patrick Mahomes. Now, are they going to miss Tyreek Hill? Without a doubt. You cannot replace Tyreek Hill with a Juju Smith-Schuster or or Valdez-Scantling. Those are not replaceable players for a dynamic player like uh, Tyreek Hill. So they do take a step back there. And you have him as a wild card. I I do have him as a wild card. I do too. Patrick Mahomes is is too gifted, too talented. Uh, He can make something out of nothing in a lot of times. Not that Valdez-Scantling and and those guys are nothing. They're just not the same – level of elite player that that Tyreek Hill is. Uh, Next will be Denver Broncos. Uh, You add the quarterback. Russell Wilson has one with less. He's got more in Denver right now. New coaching staff, that type of thing. So we'll see how that works out. But you get an established veteran quarterback. If you don't have a quarterback, you don't win a lot of times in this league. And unless your division is awful, you don't win. And this is a very good division. I think the fourth team is the, the Raiders, and I think they're out. They've lost so much talent this year. They brought in Devontae Adams. They brought in Chandler Jones. Those are two good pieces. But they have cut so many players. And I'm talking about young players Talked about Alex, uh, Alex Leatherwood, the offensive lineman from Alabama that was drafted in the first round last year. They cut him. Do they have a backup that's better than Alex Leatherwood? I would argue no. But they cut him because he was a bust for someone else. Um, but that doesn't mean you get rid of talented players. They have gotten rid of too many talented players, and they really didn't have a lot of talent on that team uh, in the first place. So I think they're going to take that step back and be out of the playoffs. But you've got the other three in. I do have the, the other three in. I think the Broncos are on that, that, that border. The AFC is good this year. You know, you're talking about the Colts, and it depends on who wins that AFC South. But I, I have the Titans probably winning the AFC South with the Colts being the second. But the Colts are probably a better team right now. It depends on Matt Ryan. What do you make of Josh Gordon? The Titans have signed him to the practice squad. He, 
I mean, he had a year early where he led the league in, in pass receiving. Obviously, he's had difficulties with suspension. He's been suspended six times, two full seasons. He's only been available 75 of 161 games, 46.5%. But uh, they need help at wide receiver, and, and uh, I don't think they're testing for marijuana anymore, so that, that shouldn't be a factor for him. He's 31. But he doesn't have a lot of wear and tear on him, and I would think he's better than Des Fitzpatrick, who's probably next in line. I think 31 is more of a factor than the marijuana. Um, you know, it depends on how severe the marijuana is. But he's had a lot of issues. This goes back all the way to Baylor. I mean, he had that issue back then. But the one thing he had, he had a lot of God-given ability. He is a well-built guy, looks the park and run. Um, you know, he's just getting a little bit older, and he hasn't played a lot of football what can they get out of him? Maybe they try to get something out of him. Uh, you're not going to see a starter. You're not going to see a star-type player, but you're going to see maybe a player that can, uh, in, in an injury-type situation, and come in, fill in for a game or two, because he does have um, – he still has a size. He still has athleticism. I'm sure he can still run. haven't seen him run outside of last year. Uh, I'm sure that's still something there. You know, the off-the-field issues, he had more than just the marijuana. I think he had some uh, – other issues with alcohol and that type of thing. I mean, so he's had a lot of problems. Hopefully those are over and he can get his life settled, but they've said that six times before. Yeah, 32 catches in his last two seasons, so it's not like teams have been turning to him for production. Finally, John Robinson yesterday, uh, Titans general manager, he had a phenomenal draft in 2019. Um, In 2020, he did not follow that up successfully. They just cut two guys from that draft. He's left with one of the six players from that draft, Christian Fulton, who is their best cornerback. And yesterday he was asked about that, and he raised COVID as an issue. He said, I wasn't able to do the things that I typically am able to do and that he felt out of sorts about it. He usually is a pretty stand-up guy about taking fault when he misses. He stood up and raised his hand for Isaiah Wilson, who was the biggest failure of that class and everything. I, I, I didn't like the sound of it, Blake. I don't want to pit you against him. But um, Chris Ballard, his, his main rival in the division, found four starters and two backups out of that same draft with the same limitations. What did you think when you heard Robinson say what he did? You know, there are no excuses for making uh, mistakes, especially that many in one draft. I mean, that can really set you back. You've got one starter, one player out of that entire draft. That can set you back. What happens is is when you draft an Isaiah Wilson, you end up, if you have a mistake like he was, you end up having to redraft that mistake. And they, and did, they did with Dylan Radins. Dylan Radins, and he is now not filling a spot. Other players are are now playing over him. So now you've created two situations where it hasn't worked out. Plus, you've gone into free agency and continue to purchase the Kendall Lambs or trade for a Dennis Daly. You, you, you keep trying to find that replacement off that mistake. Now, getting back to your comment of COVID and all that, scout, scout, scouts, scout. Okay, what they do is they have contacts at these universities. They, they have the ability to find out the background information. If you're a good scout, you can find out that information. If you have contacts, if you are trusted within those universities, within those organizations, and then it comes back to evaluation. You know, if you just look at an Isaiah Wilson alone, he was a one-position player that had a lot of issues, not only the mental issues, but he had some other issues. But he was a one-position. If he was going to fail at right tackle, there really was no 
nowhere for him else to go. And that's a first-round pick. Darrington Evans comes from Appalachian State, straight-line speed guy, didn't work out, hamstring injuries. You know, Laurel Murchison, I I think Laurel was a player that uh, they brought in as kind of a depth player, and he kind of filled that role for two years, and then he was kind of gone. The the one that is a late-round pick, Cole McDonald, was just awful on film. He was awful on film. Uh, If you're watching film at any point and you see the throwing motion, you see the the lack of accuracy – you see a problem there, and he didn't even make it into training camp and has yet to resurface anywhere else in football. So, Blake Benningfield, former Titan scout, really appreciate it. Great stuff. You're listening or watching Outkick 360 on the Outkick Network. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome back to Old City Sports Bar in Knoxville with Chad Withrow. I'm Jonathan Hutton. Great chat there uh, from Koharski with Blake Bettingfield. Coming up, Clay Travis will be here with us as we kick off our number three of all things college football. Chad, give us the DraftKings parlay that you're playing tonight. Parlay tonight, game that we're going to watch here. I'm taking Ball State to cover against Tennessee. I got it at 36.5 points. What it, that's what Tennessee it is currently. Tennessee beat Bowling Green a year ago, 38-6. to six. I could see a similar final score, but with Tennessee scoring more points okay. and Ball State scoring more points. So I think it's more a 32-35 point game. So I'm going to take Ball State to cover. I've got Purdue money line. I know we're going to talk to Clay. He likes Purdue in this game also. I'm taking Purdue as a three-and-a-half point underdog on the money line at home and give me the Pitt Panthers. In the battle of former Southern Cal quarterbacks, I'm going to take Keaton Slovis and Pitt to cover seven and a half against West Virginia. The Panthers had 280 quarterback pressures a year ago. That's 20 a game. And they are going to get after JT Daniels. Yeah, I think that's a big part of this game. I'm I'm, I'm more sure about what Pitt is bringing back as opposed to West Virginia. Clay Travis will be with us when we come back and we talk all things SEC football on OutKick 360. Hang with us.